Amen. You all may be seated. All right, grab a Bible. Let's get to Isaiah chapter 24 today. Isaiah 24. We're kind of in a little mini-series. Um, if you recall two weeks ago, before we were, we were rudely interrupted last week with that snowstorm, um, I talked about the fact that in Isaiah, we see Isaiah talk a lot about the judgments of God and how ju God judges um, Israel, he judges other nations, and I said that through the book of Isaiah, you see that numerous times. And if you recall, I, I, I said I really struggled with this. Do I preach just through the book of Isaiah and just keep hammering judgment, 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 judgment? And I said that I could probably preach 20 or more messages on judgment. And, and I just really felt like that that would just be a lot of just bringing the hammer down. And, and, and what I wanted to do and what I'm going to do is I am not going to preach through every judgment passage in the book of Isaiah. So what I wanted to do, what I'm going to do is I said that I am going to show biblically five different types of judgments that God brings, okay? Um, and, and some of them are in our lives now, and some of these judgments are coming, and they will happen. Two weeks ago, I talked about two types of judgments. Um, one judgment was the judgment of disobedience. And this is what you see in Isaiah a lot, is God's judgment coming against the nation of Israel and even other, other nations for their disobedience. But primarily, this, this idea of judgment of disobedience was toward Israel, his own people. Because the people of God, Israel, um, didn't want to obey God. God said, hey, here's what I want you to do. He lays out his law, and the people of Israel were like, eh, nah, don't want to do it. We're going to do what seems right in our, what? Our own eyes. And they did. Well, God is very patient with his people. He's, as we read and we even sang, he is slow to anger. He is forgiving. He's merciful. He's gracious. He gives warning after warning after warning. And he tries to tell his people, don't do this. Stop. But when his people keep refusing to stop, that's when God will bring a judgment against them. And we see that in the Old Testament time and time again. Well, it's no different for us. We may not call it like the judgment of God, but what we can call it as Hebrews chapter 12 says, the discipline of God. God disciplines his children for our holiness. He disciplines us when we, as God's children, refuse to listen to him. And when we allow our sin to go unchecked, and God keeps trying to remind us and tell us and warn us through his word, and we keep saying no, he disciplines his children for our good. Okay, So there is the judgment of, of um disobedience. But then I also talked about the judgment of the garden. And the judgment of the garden is a lot of the stuff that we see in our life, the bad, okay? Remember I said, why do bad things happen to good people? It's because of this judgment. Remember back in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve sinned against God and when they disobeyed God and they opened the door for sin to come into the world, that's when the curse came upon the world. 
And God cursed Adam and Eve. He cursed the earth. And everything from that point on went haywire. Okay, And when sin came into the world and the curse came into the world, a lot of the stuff, a lot of the pain and hurt, sickness, disease, death, all of it, isn't so much God going, oh, I'm going to bring judgment as it is just the outflow of the judgment from the garden. A lot of the hate we see in the world and, 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 and brutality, and it is just simply because it's the outflow of sin in the world. And God said to Adam and Eve, I'm telling you, if you disobey me, you're going to die. And they didn't listen. And guess what? Death has come into the world. And a lot of the pain and the hurt and the things that we experience in our life isn't God just going, well, I got to discipline them. But it's him just going, it is the outflow of a judgment that he set forth from the garden. Today, I'm going to continue in this vein of judgments. And uh, today, I want to talk about the judgments of the end times. And that's where we are in the book of Isaiah chapter 24. Now, if you've been here since we've started Isaiah, you have realized I am bouncing around everywhere in the book of Isaiah, okay? I am not going through chapter by chapter. I'm not going through verse by verse. I am jumping around everywhere in this. But chapter 24 is truly a judgment that looks like it's toward the end times. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to, I want to, show you what Isaiah is talking about in regards to this judgment. And, and then we're going to connect it to what I believe he is seeing. So like I said, Isaiah is a prophet. Okay, remember this. Isaiah is a prophet. And God spoke to Isaiah. And he also gave Isaiah visions. And, and Isaiah saw prophetically things that would happen in his time. Like toward the nation of Israel, he spoke prophetically. He said, this is going to happen to our nation, to our people now. But then he also saw prophetically for something that would happen in the future. The birth and death of Christ. He saw that prophetically. 700 years before it would happen. But there are also times where Isaiah not just saw things that were going to take place in his time or in a few hundred years, but something that would take place in the end times. He also saw prophetic visions of the eternal. And we'll see that later on. But this verse here is him seeing something in the future that's going to take place. And this judgment is not just against the nation of Israel. It's not just against a, another nation. Do you guys have a headline over chapter 24? A heading? What does it say? Devi chapter 24? You're in chapter 2, aren't you? And it says the day of the Lord? What? Okay. That because that it should say something like this, like mine, the ESV says judgment of the whole world. OK, you should have a, a heading that says talking about this is a judgment that is going to take place in the whole earth. OK, not just one nation, not just a couple, but the entire earth. 
what judgment is this going to be? Isaiah sees it. So let's take a look at what Isaiah sees, and then we're going to connect it to what I believe is the judgment that he sees. So let's begin with this first thing that he sees, that this judgment will devastate the earth. This judgment is going to devastate the entire earth. Look at chapter 24, verse 1. He says, Behold, the Lord will empty the earth and make it desolate, and he will twist its surface and scatter its inhabitants. Look at verse 3. The earth shall be utterly empty and utterly plundered. That's describing something that's going to be major, isn't it? Because if you notice, he says um, that it's going to twist the earth. Like something's going to be so major, radical, this judgment's going to cause the earth basically to be warped. And I'm going to show you scriptures that will show this, okay? But there's going to, there's going to come a judgment upon this earth, the entire earth, that will devastate it, that is going to bring such destruction that you and I have never seen. That's the judgment that Isaiah is seeing. He is seeing something that is causing the earth to truly shake. He's seeing a judgment that's coming upon the entire globe. And all he can say is, God is twisting this thing. The earth is desolate. The inhabitants have fled. This is the kind of judgment that he is seeing. He's seeing a judgment that is going to devastate the entire earth. Here's the second thing he sees. This judgment will not discriminate between people. It is not going to discriminate between people. Look at verse 2. And it shall be, as with the people, so with the priest. As with the slave, so with the master. As with the maid, so with the mistress. As with the buyer, so with the seller. As with the lender, so with the borrower. As with the creditor, so with the debtor. Look down at verse 4, at the end of verse 4. Or no, no, just go ahead and look at all of verse 4. The earth mourns and withers. The world languishes and withers. The highest people of the earth languish. It is hitting everybody. Yesterday, um, Breck came over to our house, and Breck just bought herself a new car last month, and she, she's been taking care of it and washing it. Really nice looking. Well, how many of you know when you're driving down salty roads, your car looks like garbage? And she came out and she had it. She just goes, you know what, Dad? She goes, it doesn't matter if you are driving a piece of crap or if you're driving a $100,000 car. It doesn't matter. On days like this, every car looks like garbage. <laughs> That's what Isaiah is seeing here. He goes, it doesn't matter who you are. It doesn't matter if you're going to be rich or if you're poor. It doesn't matter if you're going to be the CEO of a major corporation or you'll be unemployed. Male or female, adult or child, it is not going to matter. This judgment will not discriminate. It's not going to care if you're white or black, 
whether you live in America or you live in South America, it will not discriminate. And it will devastate everyone. From the highest to the lowest, it will bring devastation to all people. Here's the third thing he sees. This judgment will be delivered because of the sinfulness of people. This judgment's going to come because of the sinfulness upon the earth. Look at verse 5. The earth lies defiled under its inhabitants. And here's why. For they have transgressed the laws, violated the statutes, and broken the everlasting covenant. They have taken what, what this is, what Isaiah is seeing is that there's going to come a day because that people are going to become so arrogant toward God and his word that they are going to completely break what it says. All right. Romans chapter one, I believe, gives a great you don't have to turn there, but if you just want to listen to this and then go, I would encourage you to go home this week and read Romans chapter one. But in Romans chapter one, again, at, at the beginning of verse 18, it actually says the heading above this, it says God's wrath on unrighteousness. The wrath of God, the judgment of God is going to become, is going to come upon unrighteousness. And it says this, for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them. And then at the end of chapter one here, Paul goes on to say, and he says it like this. He goes, and since they did not see it fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetousness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, and ruthless. Though they know God's decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but they give approval to those who do them. What Paul is defining, what Paul is saying, what Paul is seeing is that there's going to come a time where God's wrath, his judgment is going to be poured out from heaven because people are going to become so arrogant in our thinking. We don't need God. We don't need his word. We don't need anything from him or of him. And they will become so um, sinful that not only will they begin to say, hey, what is right is wrong and what is wrong is right. He will, Paul is saying there's going to come a time where people will give approval to the wrong, where people will applaud behavior and say that behavior is right when God says it's wrong. 
and men, people, will applaud it. Does that sound like today at all? Isaiah saw this thousands of years ago. Paul sees it 2,000 years ago. And they are both saying there's going to come a time that men, people, are so sinful, they don't care. And they have turned their backs completely on God. Loved ones, that's even in the church. The church is even saying, well, maybe the Bible's wrong. Maybe we need to change what God is saying. And the church is condoning and applauding and allowing sinful things. We need to understand that the judgment that Isaiah is seeing is coming. And it's coming because of the sinfulness of people. And then lastly, here's the fourth thing that he sees. That this judgment will bring death to many people. It's not going to discriminate between people. And it's going to bring a lot of death to a lot of people. Look at verse 6. Therefore a curse devours the whole earth. And its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore the inhabitants of the earth are scorched. And few men are left. Isaiah is seeing something. He's seeing a judgment. He's seeing the wrath of God being poured out on this earth to a degree that when it is all done, only a few are left. Now, he's not talking three, but he's comparing to how many people are on the earth that when it's all said and done, there's only a handful of people left. Everybody else has died. That's what Isaiah is seeing. So the question is, is, what judgment is he talking about here? What, what judgment can Isaiah be seeing that is going to encompass the entire world? Now, like I said, remember, Isaiah saw prophetically into the future. He saw prophetically in his time. He saw prophetically what it would, about Jesus. And he saw prophetically for the end times. In fact, in Isaiah chapter 2, it talks about, it says that Isaiah will see things that will take place in latter days. Latter days always is, um, is, is symbolic and meaning of end times. Okay? The Bible makes it very clear through the Old Testament and New Testament that this earth is coming to an end. That humanity's time is going to come to an end. That God is going to put an end to what we know. All right? God set it in motion. He started this thing and he, he, he revved the engine and got it going. And there's going to come a time he's going to let the fuel run out. And he's going to stop it. And this judgment that Isaiah is seeing, he's seeing this judgment take place in latter times, in end times. So the question we got to ask is, is what judgment does the Bible talk about that takes place in the end times? 
Jesus gives us an idea, and Jesus tells us what judgment that is. In Matthew chapter 24, if you want to read this entire chapter, Jesus is being asked by his disciples, because Jesus has been talking about, I'm coming again, okay? There are some things that the Bible just repeats a lot, okay? And one thing the Bible repeated a lot was the first coming of Jesus in the Old Testament, but the Bible also talks about a lot in the Old Testament and New Testament, Jesus is coming again. A second return of Christ to this earth. All right? So Jesus has been telling his disciples, I'm coming again. So they're wanting to know, well, when's that going to take place? What's some signs of your coming? And Jesus is like, well, first and foremost, I don't want you to worry about it because I'm going to come at a time that you're not going to realize it. He just tells them simply, be ready. But he does give them some signs. And he's like, okay, here's some things that's going to be happening on the earth before I come. And I've talked about that, that, that we're living in a time that the signs of prophecy are just unfolding like pages of a newspaper. I have shown you things from Old Testament, New Testament of signs that a hundred years ago were never around. Remember, I, like one of the signs that we know is that the, the, the gospel will be preached in the entire world. The Rev, book of Revelation talks about that there's going to be an event that takes place that every eye on earth, every tongue, every tribe will be able to see it. Now, a hundred years ago, people would have read those verses and went, how in the world can this event happen and every person be able to see it today right here in the palm of your hand all you got to do is get on youtube all you got to do is watch facebook all you got to do is local news and you can go to third world countries and people have iphones they may not have a television but they have an iphone this allows every tribe, every tongue, every eye to be able to see it. That is just one sign. That is just one prophetic thing that takes place. And Jesus gives a lot of them. So Jesus is, is telling his disciples, hey, here's what's going to take place. But he also says this in Matthew chapter 24, verse 21. He says, there will come a time that there will be such a great tribulation such has not been from the beginning of the world until now. No, and never will be. A tribulation. Jesus is talking about that there's going to come a judgment, a tribulation that has been unparalleled. Well, what about the flood? The flood devastated the earth. But Jesus has been saying, this tribulation that's going to take place will be even greater than the flood. Think about that for a moment. So Jesus is talking about that there is going to be a tribulation. So the question's got to be asked again, well, where does the Bible talk about this tribulation? This idea that there's going to be such um, devastation and such um, destruction upon this earth. Where in the Bible does it talk about that so many people are going to die that as Isaiah saw, only a few left. 
the book of Revelation. Do me a favor, turn with me to Revelation chapter 6. We're going to look at, there are actually going to be 21 judgments that will take place during this tribulation, this tribulation that Jesus talks about. Now, the thing is, we don't have a date. We cannot set a date of when the tribulation will take place. We cannot set a date of when Jesus is coming back. We do not, Jesus says, you don't know the day and hour I'm coming back. The the second return of Christ and the tribulation go hand in hand, though. All right? You have the second coming of Christ is going to happen, and then the tribulation. I'm going to I'm going to work show you all that, but they go hand in hand, all right. And so, all we know is that we can look at signs, things that are happening in our world, and the back of your hair on your neck should be standing up, going, something's about to happen. You ever take a balloon and you just keep blowing air into it and you just keep blowing air into it? You just keep blowing air into it. Do you ever go, oh, this thing will never pop? Or is there a time where you keep blowing air and you're doing this? You're like, oh, this thing's going to blow here pretty soon. We're living in a world that's about to blow. It can only keep doing what it's doing for so long. So in the book of Revelation, the apostle John, like Isaiah, is given a vision, a prophetic vision. He gets to go, he, he's allowed to go up into heaven and he sees what's taking place in heaven. He sees the angelic beast. He sees what's going on at the throne of God. But then he's given a vision of what will take place upon the earth. And he's going to see 21 judgments that God is going to deliver upon the earth. Now, I'm not going to read through all of 21 of these judgments. I want to give a quick overview just so you can kind of see that the things that Isaiah saw are in here. Okay, so let's kind of get an idea of what's going to take place here. So the beginning of chapter six, this this is talking about Jesus, the Lamb of God, opening a, 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 a scroll. And on that scroll, you, you got to kind of think of... Um, the scroll is like six pieces of paper, and there are seals. So he breaks the first seal, and he's opened up the scroll, and it defines what's taking place. And then he opens another seal, and another piece of paper is opened up. And there are seven seals. And Jesus takes the scroll, and he begins to break the seals. And as he breaks each seal, and he opens it up, John is able to see what happens when each seal is broken. In the beginning of chapter 6, the first seal is broken, and it talks. he says there's a white horse that goes down. He's able to conquer. This is the rise of the Antichrist, all right? There's going to come a time when one ruler of the earth is so dominant that he's able to control it all. Sometimes I look at some of the, po- the political leaders that come to rise and how powerful they are, and how much control and how much influence they have. And you're like, man, this dude's got some influence. The Antichrist will be like 100 times greater than that. And so this is kind of defining this world leader that's going to come to power. And he's going to conquer people. The second seal is going to be broken. And it, this, this writer is going to be able to take peace from the earth. It's, this is kind of defining that war is going to break out like never before. Anybody other watching the news right now? How, like, like they keep talking, I mean, people have said this, World War Three. We haven't heard terms like that literally being used 
since World War II. Now they're saying it again. And this is talking about there's going to come a time where war is going to break out. And then it goes on to talking about the third seal. And it's talking about that, 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 that a financial crisis is going to hit where it will cost you a day's wages just for a loaf of bread. Man, it kind of felt like that for the past couple years. All right? And then it goes on talking about the fourth seal that's going to be broken. And this fourth seal is a, a, another rider on a horse. And now look at what it says. It says, and its rider's name was Death and Hades followed him. And they were given authority over a fourth of the earth to kill with sword, famine, and pestilence. A fourth. How many people are on this earth right now? Ballpark. So let's round up 8 billion people. 8 billion. What's a fourth of 8 billion? 2 billion people. When COVID hit, Remember how many hospitals were overwhelmed by what a few hundred people dying? Two billion people dead that quick. That's the fourth seal. That's at the beginning of this thing. All right? Daniel, we believe that Daniel gives an idea that this tribulation is going to be seven years. Okay? So in the very onset, the, the, the very beginning of this thing, we're going to see 2 billion people die very quick. He goes on talking about the fifth seal and the sixth seal. The seventh seal is going to be broken. And then it moves from the seals to chapter 8, where he talks about seven trumpets. Seven more judgment that's going to come upon this earth. And then he says that the first angel blew a trumpet and that a third and or, uh, it says that a third of the trees were burned up. A second angel blew his trumpet. And it says a great mountain burning with fire was thrown into a sea. Could be a meteor, hard to say. But it says that a third of the sea became blood. A third of the living creatures in the sea will die. A third of the ships destroyed. The third angel blew his, blew his trumpet. Another great star fell from heaven. It fell on the third of the rivers and the springs of water. And here it is. A third of the waters became like wormwood, meaning bitter. And many people died from the water. The fourth angel blew his trumpet. The third of the sun was struck. And, and the third of the light would be darkened. So imagine a third of the day dark. Okay? It'd be like living up in Alaska during, you know, like, man, we're always in this darkness. And then again, the fifth angel blows his trumpet. The sixth angel blows his trumpet. It says the, um, there's going to be four angels that will be released from the river Euphrates. We don't know what exactly that means. But these four, these four angels, these demonic angels are going to be released and they're going to give the power. And here it is. Look at the end of verse 15. To kill a third of mankind. So we went from 8 billion to 6 billion. Now a third of 6 billion is going to be killed. Okay? A third. That's going to be mm, about 1.5 billion, maybe 2 billion people. Okay? That's half the population gone already. The, the trumpets are blown. And it goes on now. Turn with me to chapter 16. 
the final seven judgments will take place after the, six, the seven seals, the seven trumpets. Now there's going to come seven bowls. It says in chapter 16, it says, Then I heard a loud voice from the temple telling the seven angels, Go and pour out on the earth the seven bowls of the wrath of God. And so the first angel went out and poured his bowl on the earth. And it says, Harmful and painful sores came upon the people who bore the mark of the beast. It says, The second angel poured out his bowl, and the sea, it became like blood, and every living thing died that was in the sea. The third angel poured out his bowl into the rivers and the springs, and they became like blood. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was... Now listen to this. The fourth angel was allowed, poured out his bowl on the sun, and it was allowed to scorch people. How many of you have your hands still in Isaiah? Anybody? If not, listen to this. I just read this. Verse 6 of Isaiah chapter 24. Therefore, a curse devours the earth, and its inhabitants suffer for their guilt. Therefore, the inhabitants of the earth are scorched. John sees the exact same thing. That the earth is able to, or the sun is so hot, it is scorching people. The fifth angel in verse 10, the fifth angel pours out his bowl. Verse 12, the sixth angel pours out his bowl. Now, here's, this is another um, prophecy that's being fulfilled right now. The great river, river Euphrates and its water was dried up. Do you want to know what river's drying up right now? The Euphrates. All you got to do is get on the, get, look at a news channel on this one. The Euphrates River is drying up right now. It goes on. In verse 17, the seventh angel poured out his bowl. He says, and there were flashes of lightning and a great earthquake, such as there had never been since man was on the earth. So great was this earthquake, and every island fled away, and no mountains were to be found. Also, during the seals, an earthquake happens. The idea of these earthquakes are so powerful that every mountain, think of Mount Everest crumbling. Isaiah says that these judgments are going to be so severe that God will twist the earth. These earthquakes are going to twist the earth. It's almost as if they're going to shake the earth so bad, it will twist it off axis. All right? The earth is going to be so out of place that islands are going to sink. Mountains are going to crumble. This is the judgment Isaiah saw, John saw. Now, here's what we need to understand about these judgments. Let me read again Isaiah chapter 24. This is a very important few words. It says, The earth will be utterly empty and utterly plundered, for the Lord has spoken this word. Loved ones, this is what you and I need to grasp. This judgment is going to happen. We may not know when, but it is coming. Why? Because God said it. 
God said it to Isaiah. Jesus spoke it. And God showed it to John. Now, it may be 2,000 years since John saw it. It may be a few more thousand years since Isaiah saw it. And a lot of people are... If Jesus is coming back, why isn't he coming back already? I mean, if everything is so bad, why hasn't God done anything yet? And people are mocking this. Because God hasn't done it yet doesn't mean he's not going to do it. Peter makes it very clear. God is patient with us. He wants no one to perish. He wants all people to come to the saving knowledge of Christ. But just like we saw with Israel, when you read the Old Testament, the patience of God does run out. It's like you take a, a um, sand um, hourglass and you flip it. That sand runs out very slow. And you could sit there and go, oh, nothing's happening. But that sand still, eventually that sand, the last bead of sand drops out. The mercy of God, the grace of God, the love of God, the patience of God, it is there. But there will come a time when God will say, it is finished. Just like Jesus said on the cross, it is finished. He will say, it is finished. It's time. But here's the good news. This judgment, this tribulation is going to happen and billions of people are going to go into it. But the good news is you and I don't have to. And here's why. As Jesus kept saying to his disciples, I'm coming back, I'm coming back, I'm coming back. When he ascended into the heavens, the book of Acts even says, why, are you guys, why do you guys keep looking at um, this Jesus? As he went into heaven, so he will also come back. He's coming back. Jesus is coming back. What's he doing? He's coming back. But here's the thing we need to understand about his coming back is this. It's a two-phase return. Because something Jesus talks about in Matthew chapter 24, when he's telling his disciples, listen, concerning the day of hour, you don't know when this is going to happen. He goes, but you just be ready. He goes, because there's going to come a day, and he says this, there's going to come a day when there will be two men in the field. One will be taken, and one will be left. Two women will be grinding at the mill. One will be taken, and one will be left. Therefore, stay awake, for you do not know on what day your Lord is coming. Jesus is saying, when I start coming back, I'm going to take people with me, and there will be people left behind. What is he talking about? What is this idea of taking some people with and some people not? What is some people taking and some people being left behind? What is that all about? That is what Paul talks about in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. What we refer to as the rapture. The word rapture you will not read in this text. The word rapture is Latin for the Greek words taken up or snatched away. The idea is that Paul is talking about an event that is going to happen where people are going to be taken away. And when they, tr when they translated the Greek um, text into Latin, they, they called it the rapture. 
this event, this rapture, this taking away, this snatching away, is Jesus returning and calling his church, calling every believer up. Look at with me if you're in if you want to be there in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Paul writes this. He says, We do not want you to be uninformed, brothers, about those who are asleep, meaning those who have died, that you may not grieve as others do who have no hope. For since we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so, through Jesus, God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep. Bring with him. What do you mean bring with him? When he returns. And when he goes back, he's bringing people with him. And Paul goes on to say, and he says this, he says, This we declare to you by a word from the Lord. Remember, Isaiah said, this is going to happen because the Lord said it. So now Isaiah, or Paul is saying, hey, the Lord has said this, and this is going to take place. And here's what it is. He says, that we, he says for uh, this we declare by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive, who are left until the coming of the Lord, will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the cry of a command, with the voice of the archangel, and with the sound of the trumpet of God, and the dead in Christ, keywords in Christ, will rise first. Then we who are alive, who are left, will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will be with him always. As I said, key words in Christ. That means you are a believer in Christ. You have placed your faith in Christ. You are a follower of Christ. All right? This is not talking about people who say, oh, I believe in Jesus or I believe in God, and their life has nothing to reflect that. Jesus makes it very clear. He says there's going to come a day that there's a gate. And he says, and in fact, there's two gates. One is very wide and one is very narrow. He goes, the wide gate is the road that leads to destruction, to wrath, to judgment. He says, that gate is very wide, and many will find it and go through it. He goes, but then there's a narrow gate, and that narrow gate is him. He says, but only a few will find it and be saved. A few. Many few. This rapture is going to call up those who are genuine followers of Christ, not pretenders, not religious people, not I go to church on Sunday, not I went to Sunday school when I was a kid. It is people who are a believer in Jesus Christ, not perfect, but pursuing Christ. Not, I'm not perfect, boy, I want to be holy though. It's the person who is living for Christ. The person who says, man, I want to give my life for Christ. The person who says, Jesus is my all in all. That's the person who is, I, I am a believer in Christ. If all I have is a label, I'm a believer, I'm a Christian, but nothing else. One will be taken, one will be left behind. And I truly believe that the left behind are not just going to be outright darn sinners. There's going to be a lot of people who attend church who are going to miss it because all they have is a label. All they have is, well, I'm a Christian because, well, I'm not an atheist. I'm not, I'm not Buddhist. 
I'm not Islam. I'm, I'm a Christian. But there's nothing about their life that represents Christ at all. These are the perf- people who have this false security thinking, well, because I, I'm a good person, I go to church, I'm okay. No. In Christ, I am in Christ. In Christ alone is my salvation. In Christ alone is my eternal life. In Christ alone am I saved. In Christ alone. If you are not in Christ Truly a believer in Jesus Christ, I'm telling you, if the rapture happened today, if you do not truly believe in following Christ, the bad news is you will be left behind. And those who are left behind will be left behind to face the tribulation. Now, some people hear that and think, well, you know what? I'm, I'm a gambling person. I think I'd be okay. Yeah, if I get left behind, you know what? I'll believe in Jesus that first day. I want to say, I don't believe that to be true. I believe that people who get left behind when they are into the tribulation, coming to believe in Jesus Christ will be even harder. And here's why. Second Peter talks about the time that, that we're in a time where the, the, like a spirit of ungodliness, the spirit of the Antichrist is being held back. Do you know who it's being held back by? The Holy Spirit. But Peter says there's going to time the one who is holding back the spirit of the Antichrist is going to be taken away. Do you know when the spirit of God is going to be taken away? When the church is taken away. The church is raptured, the Spirit of God is going with. And this earth, it'll almost be like, so right now, when you come to know Christ, you don't do that because you wake up one day, I think I need to follow Jesus today. It's because the Holy Spirit prompts you. It's the Holy Spirit that takes the Word of God and works in your heart. It's the Holy Spirit that moves in our life. It's the Holy Spirit that draws us and woos us. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts us. It's the Holy Spirit that keeps telling you, you need to be saved, you need to be saved, you need to follow Christ. It's the Holy Spirit that you feel. So when the Holy Spirit is gone, there's nothing there to prompt you anymore. When the Antichrist comes to power, he's going to be filled with the, with, the Antichrist is going to be filled with Satan. And the Bible makes it very clear that during the tribulation time, a strong delusion will take place. That people won't know truth from a lie, basically. A strong delusion. And here's why I say that. In Revelation chapter 8, when the seals have been broken, trumpets are being blown, you would think... When hell is breaking loose on the earth, when everything, people are dying everywhere, all these things are happening, you would think people would be like, God is really mad. I need to figure this thing out. Wouldn't you think that? Revelation chapter 8, verse 20 says, The rest of mankind who were not killed by these plagues did not repent of their sin. In Isaiah or Revelation chapter 16, now the bulls have been delivered. It says that they still did not repent. 
How can someone not repent? Because the Holy Spirit's not lo- no longer pro- prompting them. And a strong delusion has blinded their eyes. So that's why when people say, well, I think I'll be okay. I'll make it into the tribulation. And if I, if I, if, if I wake up and basically, you know, I'll, I'll... The chances of you believing in Jesus then probably fall to hardly 0%. It doesn't mean people won't be saved. People will be saved during the tribulation, but it will be very, very hard. That's why Paul says in, in Corinthians that today, if you hear his voice, repent. Because today is the day of salvation. You may not get it in the tribulation. Listen, loved ones. The tribulation is going to happen. And Jesus is going to rapture his church. And you don't have to go through it because you are in Christ. And look at chapter 5. I'm I'm, going to close with this. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, if you're still there. And here's why you and I, as a believer in Christ, will not go through the tribulation. In chapter 5 of 1 Thessalonians, verse 9, it says, For God has not destined us for wrath, but to obtain salvation through our Lord Jesus Christ. That is not just eternal wrath and salvation to heaven. That is also the tribulation. The tribulation is going to happen, as Isaiah saw it, because of the sinfulness of man. God is going to once and for all judge sin. As a believer in Christ, if you, have, if you know Christ, Jesus paid that penalty for you. He took the wrath of God for you. He turned the wrath of God from you. He took that judgment. So when you accept Christ as your Savior, you are born again. You are fully saved, fully righteous, already in heaven, name written down on the scroll in heaven, and you are sealed and ready to go. So when the rapture takes place in Christ... You're gone, and you're in heaven while the final judgment is playing out on this earth. The question, the question isn't, will this tribulation happen? It's going to happen. We just don't know when. The question that you and I have got to ask and that you have got to be real with yourself about is this. Are you ready for the rapture? If the rapture happens today, like Jesus says, you don't know when it's going to happen. We all assume, ah, that's not going to take place for a long time. We've been talking about this rapture for a long time. It's not coming. I'm going to be okay. How do we know? We don't know. I maybe go home today, be watching the, the Lions win the, 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 getting ready to go to the NSCF championship, eating, eating, eating my nachos and poof gone. We don't know when Jesus is coming back. But the only thing you can answer is this. Will you be left behind or will you be taken? Only you can answer that. Are you truly in Christ or are you a pretender? Are you truly a believer in Jesus Christ that he's changed your life 
You're not perfect by any means. None of us are. But man, is your life wanting to be like Christ? Are you desiring to be holy? Are you like Paul going, man, I forget what is behind, but man, I keep pressing on. I want to be more holy. I want to give glory to God. I want Jesus Christ to change me. If that's not your plan, if that's not your heart's desire, if all you want is like, I just want to be a Christian, go to church, and then I'll be done. You're taking a risk because I truly have to wonder, are you in Christ? Only you can answer that. And the way you know if you're in Christ is, man, you've got a conversion story. Your life is different. And, man, you've been becoming more like Christ. People see it. People don't have to wonder, well, I'm not sure. I know they go to church, but I, I don't know. I don't ever see anything in their life. I don't know. If you were on trial for being a Christian, would there be enough evidence to convict you? Would people be able to stand up and go, yeah, I know they are because I've, I've seen them this and they, 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 they act like this. Does Christ come out of you? Again, we're not going to be perfect. None of us are. But boy, there's to be something in your heart that says, man, I want to be like Christ. I want to love him more. I want to walk like him more, act like him more, be like him more. I want to worship him. I want to, I want to follow him. That's in Christ, folks. If that's not you, you got to ask yourself, would I be left behind? And the only way to change that is that you have got to get real and come to the place as if we saw where Isaiah said before in chapter like five or six. I can't remember where I was. Where he says, listen, though your sins make you like scarlet, come. Come and wash your hands and I'll make you white as snow. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you need to finally come to Jesus so that way you're ready because there's going to come a day where God says to Jesus, go get my church. And he's going to descend and with the voice of the archangel and the trumpet blast, he's going to say, come up here. That quick. Will you be one of them? If you would close your, just bow your heads, close your eyes. Let's go before the Lord in a word of prayer. And I, I, just, I just want you to just be real with, with you, between you and God. I don't know the condition of your heart. You do, and God does. And Jesus died on a cross for your sin. If you're here today and you have never given your heart to Christ. You don't have a conversion story. If you, you can't go back in your life and go, I remember when I said, Jesus, come into my life. I'm a sinner. Save me. If you can't pinpoint a time, you don't have a conversion story and you don't have a conversion. Or if you're here today and you're pretending, just going through the motions, the spiritual motions, You've got your label as Christian, but nothing more. Maybe you need to be serious and ask yourself, am I truly in Christ? Because loved ones, listen to me. If you are not in Christ, you will be left behind. And the judgment 
of the end times, that tribulation is going to take place. And I don't say this just to try to scare you, kind of, sort of, but I'm saying this so you will be ready. I'm saying this so that you can be saved. I'm saying this so you can have eternal life with Christ. And maybe today that's you for the very first time. And if you've never accepted Christ as your Savior, you've never confessed your sin to Christ, and you need to be saved today, would you just raise your hand real quick because I want to pray with you. Is there anyone here today saying, that's me, Jim. I need, I need, I need salvation today. As I close in prayer, as we close in this closing song, don't think that you cannot walk through this door still. Even though no one raised their hand, I would encourage you that even after this service, if you still feel like the Holy Spirit tugging your heart, talk to me out in the foyer. Let's get you right with God. And so, Father, I just thank you for this day. Lord, help us all be ready. God, help us. Lord, we're not going to be perfect. But God, help us to be pursuing. Help us to be desiring to be more like Christ, to offer ourselves as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to you. Help us, God, to take each day, one step at a time, to just say, I want to walk like Christ today, to the best of my ability, to put on that breastplate of righteousness for the glory of God. And so, Lord, today, if there's anyone here who doesn't know you, Jesus, never accepted you, I just pray that as we just sing this last song, that Holy Spirit will just keep convicting them and maybe today draw someone to that saving grace, to the saving knowledge of you. So we just thank you, Lord. Help us to be ready. Jesus, you're coming back for your church. You're going to rapture us out of here and this end times tribulation is going to take place. And God, your wrath, your judgment is going to come upon this earth. So Lord, help us to be ready for that. And help us to glorify you in the time we have. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's all stand and close with this last song.